As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. This is Michael Saka. So today I talked to Elliot Pepper, who's the author of Uncommon Stock. And what I love most about this interview was Elliot scratches a niche, not by building technology, but by writing a book. And while he had all the same ups and downs as a SaaS company, he went on to become the first author published by Bradfeld's book company, FG Press. So we talked about a bunch of other stuff. He's also an advisor. He's been in tech for a long time. Um, I think you're really going to like this one. Stay tuned. We'd like to take a moment to thank our awesome sponsors. CodeShip makes continuous delivery simple and easy. Go to CodeShip.com slash RocketShip to get 20% off three months. We'd also like to thank InVision App. 
Envision is by far the best prototyping and collaboration tool on the market. Go to Envision app forward slash rocket ship to get the starter plan free for 90 days. Customer.io is a modern email platform built for startups. Go to customer.io slash rocket ship to start sending emails that convert. The, the easiest way to think about it is like John Grisham for tech. So it's a, it's a tech startup thriller novel about uh, a couple of founders who start a company that does, that basically is able to analyze financial data and tease out red flags where there might be money laundering. And so they get pulled into this whole scheme and, and, uh, and sort of an entire conspiracy unravels around them. So it's, uh, yeah, it's an adventure story that takes place in, in the startup world. It's such a great idea. Um, where did you kind of get inspired to write a thriller novel for, for tech? Sure. No, that's a great question. So I actually, I've always been a voracious reader. Like when I was a kid, I was always the kid at the library who would like, you know, I could, I could spend four hours there just entertaining myself, finding new books. Right. And, uh, and, uh, as I grew up, like when I came out of college and, and graduate school, I started working in startups. So I, uh, I joined a startup initially that was really interesting. They were doing waste energy technology. And then I started my own company. And then I got recruited into a venture capital firm as an entrepreneur in residence. And through that experience, was able to sort of like drop into many different startups. Um, and the, the, the part that I found most interesting is that there's actually so much natural drama in the venture world, right? Like yeah, you, yeah. you know this, your listeners know this, yeah. but, uh, you know, there's an enormous amount of, of tension, of big personalities, of like incredible success and terrible failure and uh, betrayal and really interesting human, human experiences that, that happen in that world. And I just thought it was such a textured canvas, such like an interesting uh, world to be in. And, and I had so many friends, like, and all of us were working in it. And what I found so surprising is that there's an enormous library of entrepreneurial nonfiction, right? Like business books, like the, uh, I built this company and this is what I learned, right? right, right. I've been working in the industry and this is what I've learned. And like, this is how you can build a company. And that's great. And there's a lot of really good ones and there's a lot of really crappy ones too. Right. But like you could fill, you could fill an entire warehouse with them. Um, and there just was really so little fiction in the same setting. And I wanted to read that fiction. Like I wanted to be able to sit down and instead of reading a medical thriller or a sci-fi thriller or a, legal thriller, right? Like I wanted to sit down and read a startup thriller and I couldn't really find it to read. And once maybe this is the entrepreneurial mindset, right? Like once I realized I couldn't find it to read and I wanted it, I was like, well, like maybe I'll try my hand at writing this. (laughs) Which right. Total, total, uh, entrepreneurial mentality. Um, (laughs) So what did you expect when you when you sat down to write this? What what were you expecting the reaction to be from the community? From readers? Yeah. Uh, you know, I had no idea. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, you know, I, I, I mean, again, I was sort of writing it for myself. Um, and maybe that, yeah, I mean, maybe that's selfish. But I also was hoping, hey, maybe there's at least one other person out there who would be interested, right? Sure. Um, 
And I've been blown away by the reaction now that it's out. So the book came out yeah, this past March. Okay. Um, and it debuted in the top 10 in this category. And I was, I mean, I was shocked. And um, we've had a lot of outreach. We've had a lot of, like, I've, you know, like we've had quite good press, which has been really fun. We've had, you know, we have more than like 50 five-star reviews on Amazon, which wow. blows me away. Like I'm, you know, and like, but I think the coolest thing has been like personally as an, as a writer is that I've been getting like email outreach from readers who like read it. And then like, you know, I'm getting a cold email from a complete stranger who, and the whole email is just like, Hey, this is what it meant to me, or this is why it's relevant to my business. Right. Which is really interesting. Um, or people who are totally not involved with sort of the Silicon Valley tech scene at all, who are like, Oh, like I have no idea what this tech stuff was about, but it sounds really cool. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I've been sort of, uh, I've been overwhelmed. I mean, it's been really fun as a writer to be on that roller coaster and sort of like hear what, what people are thinking about it. Yeah. And you were published on Brad Feld's, um, new publishing. That's right. Right. What did they do differently or, or what are, what was kind of the, the approach that they took to this? You know, I assume they're innovating on publishing. So, they are. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, I can, so uh, Brad Feld, for the, your listeners who may not be familiar with him, um, he's a really well-known venture capital investor based in Boulder. And his firm is, is the Foundry Group, and they've backed many, many. He's one of the, the most famous sort of tech venture investors. Um, and he has a very well-read blog, and he's written some really good nonfiction books in the startup space, like Venture Deals is when I was working in venture capital, I used that as a reference. Nice. Um, so uh, so anyway, Brad was actually, so the, the history there is sort of interesting and also personal. So, so Brad was my first reader. Oh. Um, I, so when I started writing the book, I cold emailed him off of his blog, like his email's on his blog, any of you guys can go out and email him. Um, and I cold emailed him with the first five or six chapters after I was, after I'd been just writing it in Word. And I was like, hey, I love your blog. Like, I really respect what you do. Um, and I think you might be into this. Like, huh. do you want to let me know what you think or whatever, right? And, uh, and he emailed me back a few hours later. I was like, this is awesome. Like, keep it up. Like, I want to read it as you keep going. Wow. And for me, like, he's such sort of a, you know, a really respected thought leader in in my field. So I was like, that's awesome. Right. Like that was really inspirational and his enthusiasm was contagious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, it was really cool. Like I kept writing the, the manuscript, I kept sharing it with him and, you know, along the way, uh, I had always actually planned on self publishing. So I don't, uh, again, like for those of you who aren't necessarily familiar with the business of publishing, there are five, really large publishing companies and they're the ones you've heard of like random house but they also own all of these different imprints that are basically their brands and uh the deal is they sort of offer you a crappy deal especially as a first time author if you're already really famous if you're if you're stephen king or jk Rowling, you can demand whatever terms you want right? Like in terms of contract and how you partner with them. But if you're a first time author, you have very little leverage. Uh, it can take years to get your book into readers' hands. And you generally keep on average 15% of net, uh, across the different formats. 
Um, and they have really draconian contract terms where it's like, you always have to, like they have write a first refusal on future manuscripts. You know, it's just, it's a bit of a mess. And, uh, and they don't like, they don't operate that well either. There are a lot of really good people in those companies, really talented editors and everything like that. But uh, again, for first time authors, it can be a real nightmare um, sometimes when you're working with them. And so the alternative is you either publish with an independent publisher or you self-publish. And I've been planning on self-publishing because I've you know, done enough project management that I was comfortable managing freelancers and investing in book production. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so that was my plan. But when I sent Brad the final or the, the, the first rough draft of the entire book of Uncommon Stock, um, you know, and I was already ready to press go on self-publishing. Um, he emailed me back and he was like, Hey, we're starting a new publishing company would you be interested in exploring publishing with us? And so that was like completely out of the blue for me. And it was really, I was like, whoa, like, what is that going to be? Right? Like, yeah, I'm interested. And uh, so we talked, he introduced me to Dane, who's the CEO at FG Press. And uh, I was really excited about what they're doing. Like some, some simple examples are, uh, they really try to see authors and, and FG Press as partners rather than as sort of like, the David and Goliath okay. uh, relationship. Yep. And so, for example, where a normal traditional publisher gives a 1585 split in favor of the publisher, FG Press gives a 50-50 split on net. So yes. it really is just straight up partnership, right? Like we're, we're on the same page. We're, we're partners in the, in telling this story. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, that's been really positive. They're also, experimenting with many new things, like both on the sort of nitty gritty of, of how you do book production and, and what you're doing in terms of editorial, but also, and, and the, the output of that is like, for example, I finished the manuscript for the sequel to Uncommon Stock at the beginning of September, right? At the end of August, beginning of September, so a month ago, right? Mm -hmm. And it's going to release, it's gonna, we're gonna launch it December 3rd. Okay. Meaning that that's September, October, November, right? Yeah. A three month schedule from the author sending in the manuscript to the book is on the market and like readers can read it. And like at a normal publishing house, that could be one to two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so, you know, like, like these are just some examples, but you know, I could give you probably two dozen more. Yeah. Well, how do they handle like the printing? Is there an advantage for you to, to, um, to publish with them? Um, for that reason, is there distribution involved in the deal? Uh, so they're, they distribute through all major, like, so, okay. So in order to understand book distribution, it helps to just sort of like look at how the business has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, Borders is out of business. Barnes and Noble's doing really badly. They're like brick and mortar book distribution has decreased enormous amounts over the, the past 10 years. Right. And, uh, and online distribution is now how people buy books, not just digital books, not just like on your Kindle. FG press distributes through all the online retailers and then occasionally through some independent bookstores. And that is more or less how I wanted it done as an author. Because if you want to be in, say, the airport bookstore or something like that, what most people don't realize is that for most brick-and-mortar bookstores, 
the publisher actually pays for the shelf space. Hmm. So you have to pay thousands of dollars to like have your book there, right? And it's an ROI decision of, do we think we'll sell enough books for it to pay off, right? Yeah. And from my perspective, as like a first time author, I'm interested in building my audience and I don't, I don't want to be paying for, you know, airport <laughs> shelf space, for example. Yeah, yeah. Right, like, it, I'm, like that's not of interest to me. Um, and, and if you're distributing through independent bookstores, it's always an ad hoc decision because you basically have to have that conversation with each individual bookstore. So it takes a lot of time. So FG Press starts by having you know books distributed through all of the online options, of which there are many. Okay. Um, and then like you know you can sort of make game time decisions for the brick and mortar. Nice, nice. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit about your process that you took when sitting down to write this. Um, did you have like a schedule? Were you working during the day and doing this at night? What did it look like? <laughs> so I, you know, everybody has their own creative process, right? And I've tried to experiment. Like I, I see myself as right at the beginning of the learning curve. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, writing is a craft and storytelling is a craft and it takes time and experience to get those 10,000 hours, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and really become a master. So I'm right at the beginning and that means that at the beginning I have the freedom to experiment with different things. So I tried to, you know, I tried to be super... I guess for lack of a better word, anal okay. and, uh, and, and like say, okay, I'm going to write from this time to this time every day. And that didn't really work for me. Okay. And then I, then I was like, okay, I'm going to only write when I feel like I'm inspired. And that also didn't work for me. Um, because like I would go too long in between sessions and mm. stuff like that. Right. And so, uh, so it's been, it's been an interesting process learning myself. And I think that all writers or all creatives in that sense or entrepreneurs really have to, the first thing you have to figure out is how you work best. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so at, here's a fun example for the second book, which I just finished writing a month ago. Um, I found it really useful to have a deadline. Okay. Like for the first book, I didn't have one cause I, I literally just sat down at word, right. And started typing. Um, but for the second book I did because I said it, I told FG press, Hey, like I want to have it done by this time so that we can get it out by this time. Right. Yeah. And they were like, sounds good. Like <laughs> send it to us. Right? <laughs> so even though it was self-imposed, it was really useful. Um, and it gave me motivation. And I feel like I see a lot of similarities between writing and running so it, do you run like jog or anything like sure, that? Yeah. Yeah. It okay. takes a long time to get hit your stride. Right. And yeah. like, as you know, like when you go for a run, like sometimes you have a good day and you're like, ah, oh, this feels amazing. I'm like hitting my stride. Like I'm getting my runners high. Right. Like yeah. it, it just feels wonderful. And then many other days it's a slog. Yeah. And the, the difference is that someone who trains often, I think their percentage of good days gets higher. It never gets to be the majority or rarely does, but, but like you're more likely to have a good day if you're in good running shape. Right. Yeah. And I found the same was true with writing. Like I have to go through this slog in order to get to those good days. And if I'm writing a lot, 
then it makes it better, right? Like it, I, I get into flow. I remember the story more. I don't have to, have to spend as much time rereading what's already happened to make sure I remember everything. Um, and that deadline was very similar to running a race. So if you ever sign up for a half marathon or a marathon or a 10K or something like that, you know that like, does the race really matter? No, but it gives you something to train for. So it gives you a reason to be out on the trail or whatever with your friends, um, you know, going for a run. And I think that's sort of like the the closest analogy I can think of. Interesting, yeah, no, that's a really great way to look at it. Um, so how long did it take you to write the first book? Nine months and 200 hours. Wow. Okay. So, so the reason why it took nine months was because I, I me and my wife actually took a, a sabbatical uh, during that time and we're doing a bunch of travel where I didn't even have a computer or electricity. So we didn't, I didn't do any writing. So it actually took more like four months on and off writing and yeah, about 200 hours total. And I, then the next book I think took less time. Okay. Um, I wrote it, I probably started it in, like I think it took calendar time three months and maybe even less than 200 hours. Now, I'm talking about like writing time. There's definitely time like like when I'm going on a walk or something and, and I'm thinking about the story and trying to get engaged with where the characters are in their lives that isn't being counted there, but, but that's about right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense when I'm designing. Um, you're always thinking about what your current project is. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You can't yeah. bill for it, but it's going to happen naturally. <laughs> yeah. Only you could. Right. <laughs> Shower time. Um, so what did, happens after you write? Like you've got this first draft. Mm-hmm. What did you do? Um, did you send it off to an editor? Um, are there freelance editors that will will give you um, kind of feedback and correct the grammar? How did you handle revisions? Yes. So, well, the short answer is yes, I did. And yes, there are. Okay, um, good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so I used a, so I have a friend who was a developmental executive for screenplays in Hollywood. And um, I used her as my developmental editor. And there's sort of different layers of ending. So developmental editing is like substantive stuff. Like this character is making decisions that don't make sense hmm. or this plot twist you know, has this fatal flaw, right? Where you might need to make structural dramatic changes to the manuscript. So you start with that. Okay. And then once you've sort of nailed down the big problems, then you move on to, you know, sort of like copy editing, which is more like, like, okay, you, the character was holding a coffee cup at the beginning of this dialogue, but at the end of this dialogue, the cup disappeared. Right. Like what happened to the cup, Uh, like things like that. So like lower level scene level things. And then that also progresses into language editing. Like you're missing a comma, you know, you you use this word too often, right? Like Mm -hmm. you need to mix up the structure on this paragraph. Um, So you sort of get progressively grittier. And at the end of the day, right before you're actually going to print, you do what's called proofreading, which is like, you think it's good. You know, you think, you think it's a (laughs) script and you're always wrong. And so, uh, so then proofreaders are people who are super detail oriented and really good at looking through, 
text and finding errors or formatting issues and and little you know the the many the all the little things that are important because they can get in the way of a reader's experience. Okay. And so for the first book, I did like seven revi- major revisions. And then we then we did a whole bunch more of just really low level copy stuff. Very cool. And then do, do, do you find that like I, I had an editor um, proofread mm. my stuff and I thought I, I could write and I realized that I, I really couldn't um, <laughs> after they had gone through. Um, do you find that is, is this time easier for you? Are you are you starting to, to find more of the mistakes that those the detail oriented copywriters are finding? No. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but I have learned something. So okay. it's just not that. So, uh, so com- comparing the second book to the first one, um, the the things that I learned, and, and and again, I think I'm at the very beginning of learning this craft. And so, the nice thing about being on the beginning of the learning curve is that you feel like you're making progress quickly. <laughs> right. Like, I'm sure that'll happen. Um, but, uh, but like one thing that I really, that my editor was incredibly helpful with on the first book and that carried over as a learning point for me into writing the second book was structure and pacing. So it was like on the story level, like, okay, like, let's make sure that like, we don't have one section of the story that's all about one thing. And then like the next section is all about a different thing. You need to really layer them in much more subtly. Right. Um, And then pacing is a little more clear, right? Like if you watch a movie, like sometimes it drives me a little crazy. If you watch a comedy and it's really funny in the beginning and then at the end it turns into just a romance. Yep. (laughs) Right. And it's like, wait a minute, like I'm not laughing anymore. Like what's going on. Right. And you see that in action movies or intrigue movies sometimes too. It'll be like, it's really boring for the first 45 minutes and then it gets exciting or vice versa. And so pacing is a really big thing in storytelling where, you know, no matter what kind of story you're telling, just to make sure that it remains engaging for the reader. Um, and so those were two of the things that I focused on a lot and that I think, you know, now that I'm in editorial on the second manuscript, before you start editing, you never know, right? right. It's like I'm <laughs> right. just bumping onto a page when I'm actually <laughs> writing the rough draft. But, uh, but now that we're in editing, I, I can see that there are less major structural changes that are required. Okay. And so I, I, I learned something. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Well, Elliot, thank you so much for coming on. Um, this has been incredibly uh, fascinating, kind of the, the juxtaposition between publishing and tech. So, um, And I think there's a lot of carryover, even if you're just writing a blog entry um, or telling your startup story. Like, we should really, we, we, can, we can look at these storytelling techniques and apply them to anything. I, I couldn't agree more. I yeah. couldn't and uh, actually, you you, re- you you have a new medium collection, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, on startup lessons, right? And uh, I literally just threw up storytelling for startups in your collection. We'll we'll so link it down some... at the bottom of of the episode. Oh, perfect! There yeah. you go. So yeah, people yeah. can go in and check it out, and we'll link to Uncommon Stock too. Um, for everyone listening, where can we keep up with you online? 
Um, the easiest way is my blog. It's just my name, elliotpepper.com, E-L-I-O-T-P-E-P-E-R.com. Um, I've got a mailing list there, so I sort of try to give uh, all the fun stuff to the folks on that list, you know, new release updates and some extra content and stuff like that. And then the other easy way is just on Twitter, just at Elliot Pepper. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, where twice monthly we send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today. Stock still Shark in a lurk and slide.